Hello and welcome to episode 743 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, December 14th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am under the weather, kindly say an Ave Maria for me. I would greatly appreciate it. Let us begin with the Thursday prayer to the most blessed Virgin Mary to obtain heaven. O Queen of Paradise, who reignest above all the choirs of angels and who art the nearest of all creatures to God, I, a miserable sinner, salute thee from this valley of tears and beseech thee to turn thy compassionate eyes towards me. For whichever side they turn, they dispense graces. See, O Mary, in how many dangers I know I am and shall be as long as I live in this world of losing my soul, of losing heaven and God. In thee, O Lady, I have placed all my hopes. I love thee, and sigh to go soon to see thee, and praise thee in heaven. Ah, Mary, when will be that happy day, on which I shall see myself safe at thy feet, and contemplate my mother, who has done so much for my salvation? When shall I kiss that hand, which has delivered me so many times from hell, and has dispensed me so many graces, when on account of my sins I deserve to be hated and abandoned by all? My lady, in life, I have been very ungrateful to thee, but if I get to heaven, I shall no longer be ungrateful. There I shall love thee as much as I can in every moment for all eternity, and shall make amends for my ingratitude by blessing and thanking thee forever. I thank God with my whole heart, who gives me firm confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thee, and the conviction that thou wilt save me, that thou wilt deliver me from my sins, that thou wilt give me light and strength to execute the divine will and in fine that thou wilt lead me to the gate of paradise. Thy servants have hoped for all this, and not one of them was deceived. No, neither shall I be deceived. O Mary, my full confidence is that thou hast to save me. Beseech thy son Jesus, as I also beseech him, by the merits of his passion, to preserve and always increase this confidence in me, and I shall be saved. Today, friends, it's... uh our policy here on the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. We're trying to get people more interested in attending the Tridentine Mass, also known as the traditional Latin Mass. And toward that end, I was going to go through an article published at 1 Peter 5 yesterday. Uh, It's an interview by the editor of 1 Peter 5, Mr. Timothy S. Flanders, with Michael Foley, Ph.D. This is entitled, A Devotional Guide to the Latin Missal. And the title of the book is Lost in Translation, Meditating on the Orations of the Traditional Roman Rite. And it's in uh, question and answer format, beginning with Mr. Flanders saying, thank you for speaking with me, Dr. Foley. Our readers may recognize you from the Mass of the Ages documentary. Were you raised in the Latin Mass or did you encounter it later? Tell us about that. And Michael Foley responds, I came upon the Latin Mass by chance in my early 20s. I was in grad school in Boston when a friend invited me to a church that was having a special anniversary, Novus Ordo Mass. As we were walking out of the church, I saw a sign that read, Tridentine Latin Mass, 12.30 p.m. I did not know what that meant, but because I was tired of the liturgical abuses that I witnessed at every parish I visited, I was willing to try anything. The next week, I returned to the church and attended my first low mass. I will confess that initially I was slightly miffed by the experience. 
I was used to the mass being more about me, and it was clear that the celebrant was completely fixated on God. But I was intrigued, and so I returned the following week. After about 10 or 12 Sundays in a row, I was hooked. And if I could jump in here for a moment, I think that's one of the many beautiful things in regards to the traditional Latin Mass is that you can certainly tell that it's 100% Christocentric, completely focused on the Lord, the priest facing our Lord in the tabernacle. And we're so used to growing up in this milieu, for most of us who've been going to the Novus Ordo or went to the Novus Ordo for most of our lives and the priest facing us and kind of having to act seemingly by design, acting as a, an MC or almost as like a, a showman. And when people see that's not the case at the traditional Latin mass initially, they don't know what to think. Well, what to think is this is great. This is glorious. As Dr. Taylor Marshall says, he's not speaking to you. He's speaking to the Lord. Uh, which is the way it should be. Mr. Flanderson says, I know many of us can relate to this, of course. What year was this, and what was the atmosphere like in the greater church toward the Latin Mass? And Dr. Foley says, Around 1994, in those days, the Latin Mass was viewed with great suspicion, even by conservatives and Orthodox Catholics. The Archdiocese of Boston, where I first encountered the Latin Mass, was no different. Pope John Paul II had encouraged bishops to be generous in granting an indult to celebrate the Latin Mass. But when an indult was sought from Cardinal Bernard Law, he refused. It was only when the petitioners went over his head and complained to Rome that he allowed one Mass in a bad part of town for the 1.5 million Catholics in his care. The Chancery was so disdainful of the Latin Mass that they forbade practices that even remotely smacked of liturgical life before Vatican II. During one Lent, they set out a sharply worded letter to every parish, banning the veiling of sacred images during Passion Tide. Less than a year later, the Boston sex abuse scandal broke. You could see where their priorities lay. Mr. Flanders, yes, that does unfortunately tell a lot. Can you tell us what became of that indult parish and the Latin Mass in Boston up to the present? Are you still in Boston now? Dr. Foley, sadly, the Archdiocese closed and sold the parish, Holy Trinity German Church, in order to remunerate the victims of its predator priests. On a happy note, around a dozen churches in the greater Boston metro area are now celebrating the Latin Mass, including the cathedral. My family and I have lived in Waco, Texas for the past 19 years, where I teach in the Great Text program at Baylor University. I taught for three years in the Department of Theology at the University of Notre Dame before that. Mr. Flanders, it must have been quite a shift to move from the New England area to Waco, Texas. What is the Latin Mass community like in your area? Have you attended the Latin Mass every Sunday since that moment in Boston? Dr. Foley, my wife and I met after a Latin Mass at Holy Trinity German Church and were married there. Ever since then, we have tried to attend the Latin Mass whenever possible. There were two hiatuses. When we lived in South Bend for three years, and we went to St. Michael's Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, which was wonderful, and when we moved to Waco in 2004. There was no Latin Mass in the area, and the bishop at the time refused to grant us an indult. 
Fortunately, that changed after Summorum Pontificum was promulgated in 2007, and we had a Latin Mass on the day that it took effect. Today, the Latin Mass in Waco is celebrated every weekend at the St. Peter Catholic Student Center, where it attracts both young and old. As far as I can tell, it is one of only two places in the country where the Latin Mass is regularly celebrated in a Newman Center for a non-Catholic university. Mr. Flanders, that's great to hear. Finally, before we get into your new book, can you tell us something about your area of academic study and interest? Is this your first book? Dr. Foley, this is actually my 17th book. I am probably best known for my four books on drinking and dining with the saints, and hyperlinks are given. But my real area of specialization is the Church Fathers, especially St. Augustine. I edited Frank Sheed's translation of the Confessions and translated St. Augustine's earliest dialogues in four volumes. And of course, I love to study sacred liturgy. Mr. Flanders, wow, that's a lot. When did you first start thinking about the ideas in your new book? Is this your first book on the Latin Mass? Dr. Foley, thanks. It's been fun. My latest book, Lost in Translation, began as a series of articles on the New Liturgical Movement website. It is my first book devoted entirely to the subject of the 1962 Roman Missal, although my drinking and dining books also follow the 1962 church calendar. Mr. Flanders, a translation is a fitting aspect of the liturgy debates. It is often thought that the Novus Ordo is merely the Latin Mass except in English. What did you discover in studying the Latin Mass? Dr. Foley, I once thought that too, but it is a false claim. The ordinary of the Mass, its unchanging parts, was significantly changed by way of both addition and subtraction. And the propers, the parts that change from day to day, are different as well. Only 13% of the orations in the 1962 Missal, the Collect, Secret, and Post-Communion are included verbatim in the 1970 Missal. The rest were either altered, and usually not for the better, or scrapped altogether. The subject of Lost in Translation is these traditional orations, which are magnificent gems. Mr. Flanders says, Yes, I'm aware of the work of Lauren Pristus and Matthew Hazel on this question, scholarship that very few among the clergy, it seems, have availed themselves to. What does your new book bring to this discussion of the orations? Dr. Foley, my goal in Lost in Translation is to take the wisdom of Pristus, Hazel, and others and make it accessible to a wider audience. And more than that, I want people to cherish the Roman orations, which are literary masterpieces, and to use them as a portal, so to speak, into the liturgical occasion of the day. That is why I have an entry for every Sunday and major holiday of the year. Mr. Flanders, okay, tell us about the structure of the book. Are you saying it's meant to be used devotionally? Dr. Foley, yes, it is. Before you go to Mass on Sunday, look up the chapter for that Sunday and ruminate on it. You will find how wise our spiritual ancestors were when they crafted these prayers for our use. Mr. Flanders, this is a wonderful resource for me. The collect, which, quote, converted me to the TLM, was seeing how the Novus Ordo, quote, censored the collect for the Holy Innocence. Can you give us a few examples of these prayers, how they were changed and what wisdom was lost? Dr. Foley, 
there are many examples similar to the one you mentioned because the relator of the subcommittee in charge of the prayers and prefaces of Father Antoine Dumas wanted to replace every element that he deemed negative with a more dynamic positive. The example he gave was of an old colic that asked God to protect his flock from diabolical attacks. A rather clever portrayal of the devil as a ravenous wolf. Dumas replaced the image with a petition to lie down in eternal pastures. I am tempted to say that the liturgical reformers Disneyized the orations, but even Disney makes use of the big bad wolf. Another example is what happened to Pope Pius XI's Feast of Christ the King, which was not simply moved from the last Sunday of October to the last Sunday of Ordinary Time, but replaced by a new feast with a new theme. The old feast affirms the social reign of Christ the King over us here and now, while the new feast celebrates Jesus Christ as a cosmic king of the universe at the end of time. The differences can be seen almost everywhere, including the prayers. The old colic prays that nations be subject to Christ. The new colic prays that creation may one day praise him. Mr. Flanders. This is a very important aspect of the debate, which is rarely heard, since it proves that the, quote, reverent Novus Ordo, even when celebrated in Latin, is not enough. Even the Latin Novus Ordo loses so much of our patrimony that was handed down from ancient times. Can you give us any more examples of particular orations that have meant something to you and how they are treated in your book? Dr. Foley, there are a couple of orations that offer a profound map of how to live a happy life. One of my favorites is the Collect for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, which is one of the 13% that made it into the new Missal unaltered, appearing as the Collect of the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. O God, who has prepared invisible goods for those who love thee, pour forth into our hearts the affect of thy love that loving thee in all things and above all things, we may obtain thy promises, which exceed every desire through our Lord. The Collect is a classic example of what Pope Benedict XVI means when he calls sacred liturgy a school of love. This is a prayer about how to become a better lover. God does not want us to love less, but to love more. I love the concept of loving God in all things and above all things. And yet, no matter how much we love, he is going to give us invisible goods that surpass our wildest desires. The prayer is also a pithy refutation to those who think Christianity is a killjoy. Mr. Flanders, how can your book help the faithful pray the Mass? Dr. Foley, whether the Mass is in English or in Latin, in the old form or the new, it is difficult to savor the orations during the liturgy for the simple reason that they are over in a matter of seconds. My book allows you to stop and smell the roses and to appreciate the genius of these prayers, and that will help you pray these prayers more deeply. Mr. Flanders, how do you hope your book contributes to the wider trad movement? Dr. Foley, this book is the fruit of my long-standing love of the traditional Roman rite, and I want that love to be contagious. My hope is that Lost in Translation will give traditional Catholics yet another reason to love the Roman liturgical tradition 
and to draw closer to our loving God. And in regards to Dr. Foley and a little bit more about who he is, it says at the end of the article, the following. Michael P. Foley is an associate professor of patristics in the Great Text program at Baylor University. He is the author of over 150 articles and several books on theology, including Drinking with the Saints, The Sinner's Guide to a Holy Happy Hour, Regnery, 2015, and Lost in Translation, which is the book that we're just discussing, Meditating on the Orations of the Traditional Roman Rite, Angelico, 2023. Foley is currently serving as the president of the Society for Catholic Liturgy. He lives in Central Texas with his wife, Alexandra, and their six children. So highly recommend checking out that book, folks. Once again, it's entitled Lost in Translation, Meditating on the Orations of the Traditional Roman Rite. may make a nice Christmas gift for a family member or a friend of yours. Let us conclude by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. Dot org. Also, please tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Those episodes and the website deal with RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers. Before my niece was about eight years old, we didn't even know her favorite color. Thanks to RPM, we now know that she's a comprehensive genius who can compose music. She's a very skilled poet has great ability in regards to mathematics. She knows foreign languages. We would have known none of that without RPM. It's been as big of a breakthrough for non-speakers as sign language was for the blind, as Braille was for, or excuse me, as sign language was for the deaf or as Braille was for the blind. It's that massive. But you can't use a tool unless you know about it. So we have to get this information out to the family and the friends of non-speakers because communication is a human right. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please tune in again next time. Goodbye and God love you.